Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Greetings, friends. I'm Mariquita Guerrera. Since February is Black History Month, it seems like a good time to specifically and especially uplift books written by Black authors. Here at Feminist Book Club, we want to encourage you to diversify your reading list every month of the year, but when given an opportunity to spotlight a group of historically underrepresented and still inadequately compensated writers, we are here for it. A lot of discussion around books really focuses on new releases, and that's fair. When an author you love has a new book coming out, it's exciting, and publishers really work to promote new titles. But backlists are where my heart lies. A few reasons. The titles are usually easier to find in libraries or used bookstores, which is both financially and environmentally responsible. Even the most avid reader can't keep up with the new releases on their TBR, and authors deserve to have their whole body of work considered and loved. Plus, backlist titles make great books for book groups because they're more easily acquired. Oh, a quick note, you probably got this from context, but there are backlist and frontlist titles. Frontlist books are the most recently published titles, and backlist are the older titles. There is finally a little more attention being paid to the frontlist titles of authors of color, but there are still fewer folks purchasing older titles. So, sound the trumpets, because here I am to sing the praises of a few of my favorites. Okay, full disclosure, when I was daydreaming about this episode, I put together a quick mental list of some of my favorite backlist titles by Black authors, and I came up with 30. I am not going to talk about 30 books. We do not have the time, but I am going to cover books from seven different authors, and I think that's good, right? All that to say, this is not at all comprehensive. Again, we simply do not have the time, but it's a good sampling. Heading off the top of our list is Samantha Irby. I do not have the words for how much I love Samantha Irby's writing. I even subscribe to her periodically updated Substack publication that's just commentary on episodes of Judge Mathis. It is a bright spot in the world. Having a bad day? Read one of these recaps. It's bananas. I first encountered Irby's writing via her book, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, a collection of honestly hilarious essays, which tackle topics that are normally handled with gravity, seriousness, grave vulnerability. Topics like chronic illness, mental health issues, scattering in estranged parents' ashes, challenging and fractured family dynamics. We Are Never Meeting in Real Life is Irby's second book. She has three out now and is working on a fourth, but this one is my favorite. Fair warning, if you do not like gross-out humor, you might not really dig a few of these essays, but it's still worth reading them all. I love essays because, like short stories, you don't have to have a lot of time at your disposal to really enjoy them. You can dip in and out of the book as you're able and still get a lot out of it. Speaking of essays, Phoebe Robinson has a new book out, Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, but I'm talking about backlist, yeah? 
So I want to revisit her book, Everything's Trash, but it's okay. Everything's Trash was Robinson's second collection, the follow-up to her book, You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain. Robinson has such a unique and amazing writing style. Reading her books feels like talking with your best friend about pop culture, dating, and self-exploration. Her writing style is so singular that you can actually hear her voice in your head when you're reading it. I love when that happens. Everything's Trash covers intersectionality, body image, and her obsession with U2, which, okay, I do not identify with, but that's all right. Her adoration is contagious, and I found myself spending more time going down the Google rabbit hole about Bono than I ever thought I would. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Robinson has started her own publishing imprint, Tiny Reparations, which is publishing some really amazing works by authors of color. Definitely check them out when expanding your TBR. In the realm of fiction, I thought we might start off by heating things up. It is February, after all. I haven't read romance books since I was a youngling, when I would read anything and everything I could get my hands on. Back then, romance novels seemed like an embarrassing secret, something I'd read while crouched in my closet, flashlight in my hand, so no one would find me. I stopped reading romance because I bought into the idea that only quote-unquote serious fiction was worthy of my time and attention, which is a big lie and some covert misogyny. Even so, I hadn't really been able to get back into it, not that I'd tried very hard, until I came across Talia Hibbert's Brown Sisters trilogy. The Brown Sisters trilogy explores romance and erotica from an intersectional lens. The women featured are not of the type you normally find as the objects of desire in traditional romance books. They're strong black women, and the characters, both the sisters at the center of the story and their love interests, struggle with mental health and chronic health issues. They grapple with classism, with racism, with their own walls. They're beautifully dynamic, not always straight, though they do all end up with men, infallible in all of the real human ways. Hibbert knows how to write a sex scene, too. So many writers fumble with this. I personally would be trash at it. But she does a fantastic job. The Brown Sisters trilogy is fun and funny, sweet and saucy, and well worth your time. Now for the, uh, how would you categorize this? The weirder books? This is for all my book friends that like to veer from the conventional fiction path. If you have not read Kiese Lehman's book, Long Division, please pick it up. Do actually pick up the physical copy. Don't make the mistake I did and do the audiobook on this one. It's still great, but it is confusing and hard to follow. The physical book has a way to better guide you through the three different timelines arcing through the narrative, which the audiobook, just by virtue of the format, lacks. Adding to the confusion, there are a couple characters sharing the same name, and the whole narrative exists in a world that seems like our world at first. I mean, the present timeline portion at least, but it's probably not. Layman has a really singular way of describing the love interest in this book. I have never in my life heard a woman lovingly characterized, 
using so many descriptors that would ordinarily seem to detract from her allure. It made her feel real and strong and gorgeous. It's wild. The book explores first love, rivalry, family, fame, loss, the clan, and time travel. What, and I am asking you this genuinely, is not to love. I plan to reread this book as soon as I am able again because it is seriously genius. It was maybe my favorite book that I read all of last year. Helen Oyeyemi is another author that eschews traditional narrative. She has a new book out, Pieces, which I'm reading right now, and I first fell in love with her writing when I got in advance of her book, Boy Snowbird. But her book, White is for Witching, is my hands-down favorite of all of her works. It's also the one that is probably the most accessible to the most people, and that it is linear and straightforward. It's a gothic novel. I love, I love gothic novels. Bring them all to me. But this one is fantastic. You like Shirley Jackson? Try White is for Witching. It's got a haunted house in which the house is the one doing the haunting. It's got creepy siblings and dark magic and grief. Like, who is living in the walls? Who? And how many floors are in this place? Friends, it has been several years since I have read this book, and I cannot shake it. I want to hand it out to all of my spooky story lovers. I wanted to do a whole episode just on this book, analyzing its pieces from a post-colonial standpoint, but it doesn't really work in that category since it takes place in England, so I couldn't quite make it fit. But here it is in all its glory. Please, please curl up with a nice blanket, a warm cup of tea, and read it. And then talk with me about it. I want to talk about it. I also wanted to talk about Aquakia Mezzi. I started off with Amezi reading their debut novel, Freshwater, which is gorgeous and turns and twists through your mind as you follow the narrator through her experience with alter selves. It's beautiful and dark and challenging. I haven't revisited anything else written by Amezi, though, until recently. In fact, I just finished Pet. Loved it. Neba talked briefly about this title in her Inclusivity in Fiction episode, which aired March 23rd, 2021. If you haven't listened to that episode, check it out. She has some great suggestions there. Pet is a YA novel that you could give to anyone who still has a block on YA, considering it juvenile. There is nothing juvenile about this novel. It confronts the way we allow evil to propagate, when we refuse to acknowledge it or deny it exists altogether. The story contains depictions of characters we do not often see in literature, non-traditional families, a trans protagonist, a non-binary parent. None of these characters exist to prove their worthiness or dimension or humanity. Their transness, their non-binariness is not a plot piece to move the story forward or add depth. It's just who they are, a descriptor as vital as any other identifier, but not the point. Pet has our main character, Jam, and a word on the character names in this book, they are genius. <laughs> it has Jam pushing forward into uncomfortable territory in the interest of providing safety and protection. She's a reluctant accomplice to a creature, come forth to hunt a monster, but her desire to help uncover the monster and to fight a wrong moves her into a place of greater maturity. There is a potential content warning on this book, 
but Amezi is really cautious to not go into any sordid details. Again, that's not really the point of this story here. Pent is the recipient of the Stonewall Book Award and was a finalist for the National Book Award in Young People's Literature, well-deserved in both cases. It is a truly phenomenal book and can touch you deeply at so many levels. I couldn't recommend it more. Finally, there's N.K. Jemison. Do not miss out on N.K. Jemison. Renee and Natalia talk about Jemison's book, The City We Became, during their Best Books of 2021 episode, which aired on December 16th. There are a lot of gems in that episode, too, so give it a listen if you haven't yet. Since they really did cover it quite well, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, just to say that Jemison is really a giant in the sci-fi fantasy world. The City We Became is part of a forthcoming Great Cities series, and I cannot wait to read the rest of the books in this collection. It posits that cities are sentient beings, made living by the people within them, the characteristics which make them unique, their own specific histories and geographies. It asserts that cities can grow and become stronger, or they can die. If you liked American Gods, you'll love this. Earlier, I cautioned against listening to the audiobook of Long Division by Kiese Lehman, but I would strongly recommend the audiobook of The City We Became. The reader does a phenomenal job. You've probably been hearing about N.K. Jemisin more frequently lately, and I hope that keeps up and expands to other authors who have been established in the genre for some time and who also deserve some of the spotlight. Well, that's it for me for now. Thank you so much for joining me. It is, as always, a real pleasure to talk with you today. Let us know about any backlist titles you've loved. We don't always have to focus on the new and shiny things, though that is fun too. If you're looking for me online, you can find me on Instagram at O underscore Murray. Until next time, friends, be well. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, Red Woman is a day.